Hey, what's going on, guys? And thanks for listening to the Zeros and Villains podcast. We are back with another episode, and today is going to be a uh, special episode. Uh, Dean and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, some of our favorite memories from wrestling. We're going to kind of try to talk a little bit more about ourselves this time. Uh, not like we don't do that enough, but <laughs> I think we're going to really uh, dive into a little bit about what made us wrestling fans, uh, some of the things that we really enjoy talking about, uh, and, uh, and and things that you know, really stick out in our memories, uh, some of our significant, um, what, what would you say, milestones, I guess, uh, in yeah, our, correct. right, in our in our uh, fandom here. So, first of all, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic. Uh, getting ready to watch UK versus Tennessee. Go Big Blue. Uh, just another lovely Saturday in gray and cold and rainy Kentucky. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it has been a, a lazy Saturday morning. I'm very happy uh, just to, to be here, to be alive. My wife made pancakes this morning, and it is actually snowing outside. We've probably got about five inches on the ground, and it's still coming down. Uh, so, yeah, similarly, in, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> What's actually crazy is that we haven't had a ton this year so far. Um, but this is, this is like the first morning really that we've woken up, opened the windows and seen, uh, everything blanketed in fluffy white powder. So, so you, you've had that Disney morning, the, uh, waking up, it's snowing, you don't have to go to work and your wife made pancakes and there's birds chirping and <laughs> great, man. Uh, all, all the birds are flying down your way, but yeah. I woke up the three kids, won three different things. So that's, there you go. You got that to look forward to. Oh, I'm I'm pumped, man. <laughs> All righty. All right. So um, as opposed to usual today, uh, usually we jump into uh, a Raw and SmackDown review. Um, Raw and SmackDown, I thought were really good this uh, this week, but uh, I don't think we're going to dive too, too much into the details because we do want to make it a little bit of a special uh, just talking about ourselves, our uh, background in wrestling and also, like, so, like we said, some of those uh, those milestones and memories. That made us fans along the way. So uh, I think just suffice it to say, Ron SmackDown were really good this week, right? Absolutely, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Good shows, good good shows that actually felt like they were road to WrestleMania shows. Right. I feel like they've the last couple of weeks have felt a little lackluster in that department, uh, but it really felt like they, uh, you know, kind of ratcheted up the intensity here uh, this week on both shows and really made us care about the storylines moving forward. Uh, into Fastlane, but then also into WrestleMania. So I totally agree. All right. So uh, we are, like I said, we're going to do this little special here. And why don't we talk first about what made us a wrestling fan? Uh, we obviously come from different backgrounds. Myself, uh, I only started really getting into wrestling. I mean, I always kind of thought it was cool, but never paid any attention to any pro wrestling whatsoever uh, until I was probably about 12. Eh, let me think. I think it was about 2021, 20, so it was probably about four or five years ago. Um, I was maybe almost 22 years old. I think it was my uh, my second to last year of uh, of grad school. So yeah, I was. I've only been really watching the product. Uh, for any of our loyal listeners, you guys know that I, I've really only been watching any sort of pro wrestling for probably about four years now. And uh, so, so my memories and my milestones are going to be a lot of recent stuff. Uh, maybe a little bit of a throwback, but but mostly the recent uh, WWE and also, you know, uh, other product from across the world, New Japan, et cetera. But your background is a, a bit more storied. Yeah, correct. I, uh, I've been a fan 
you know, I've had a love-hate relationship with wrestling pretty much all my whole life. Um, as a child, really, really loved it. Like, eat and sleep wrestling. Everything in my house was wrestling. My room was all wrestling. Everything was wrestling. Uh, all the way up through teenage years and then kind of fell out a little bit. And then we'll get into all that down the road. But I've always had a love-hate relationship with wrestling. Okay. I, I didn't realize that there was any sort of uh, hate in the relationship. I thought you were always uh, in love with this stuff. Well, you see, my my hatred for wrestling that I've had has never been, oh, I hate the booking. You know, I understand booking and, like, it has its ups and downs and whatever. I've never hated wrestling. I've had jaded moments where I've had enough of it, where I've okay. had to kind of step back and, you know, clear my palate a little bit, and then I'll start appreciating it again. And some of those times have lasted a year. You know, there's been times where I've went a year without watching professional wrestling at all and uh, come back to it, and then the, the love affair starts all over again, so to speak. All right, so uh, why don't we jump first into what made us a wrestling fan? Uh, so I'll kind of share, uh, and this kind of uh, ties into my first memories of wrestling. I know you've said that what made you a fan and your first memories of wrestling are, are not quite the same thing. Uh, but for me, they're, they're pretty uh, intertwined. And that was the night after WrestleMania 31? I believe it was 31. Where did Seth Rollins cash in? Was that 30 or 31? Uh, let me see. I believe that was 31. I believe I believe so. So anyway, um, I was working at the time at uh, the place where I went to school, University of New Haven uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. I was working there with uh, a couple guys. And uh, I mean, there was a whole crew of, uh, of resident directors. So I was working in the residential life office. And there were two guys there, particularly one was actually my supervisor, but he was pretty much so close in age and experience with us that we were just all friends. Uh, and he was a huge fan. And then uh, one of the other resident directors who's about my age, uh, he was also like a big fan. Uh, but I think like he was still kind of... Uh, Really, like, he would watch on and off, but I think he was uh, really starting to get into it at that point. And they had both watched WrestleMania the night before. So this is Monday morning after uh, WrestleMania 31. So they come into the office Monday morning, and they're just talking all about what happened and this and that. And I'm not recognizing any of these names. If I went back and could replay that conversation, I'm sure I'd, you know, have a lot more appreciation for it. But they were very, very excited about Seth Rollins cashing in money in the bank. So just their enthusiasm alone made me think like this sounds this sounds so cool. I got to I got to ask them what they're talking about. So I said, "Is are you guys talking about WWE?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "What like what what is this? What does this mean?" So so what do you mean he cashed in? What what does that mean? So they explained that Seth Rollins and then they were like, "Have you heard of Seth Rollins?" I said, "No, I, I don't know who any of these guys are because the last wrestling name I could have pulled out right then was probably The Rock." So I, I didn't have any knowledge of the current product. And he goes, okay, well, Seth Rollins used to be part of this group uh, called The Shield. He was part of it with these other guys. He turned on him. Basically, he uh, they didn't say he turned heel, but he, they were like, he became a bad guy because they're really breaking it down real simple for me. And they said that he won this uh, opportunity to challenge for the championship. And he held it all, almost all year, which was usually, you know, usually unheard of. They usually cash in much sooner. He holds on to this contract all year, and instead of cashing in before or after a match or setting up a match in advance, as had also been done previously, he came in and cashed in during a match and won the WWE Championship. So they explained the whole Seth Rollins thing to me, and I'm thinking, 
that sounds really interesting. So that night I got home from, uh, from the office, I pulled up like YouTube or whatever. And I watched that moment and I was like, I, I don't want to say I was hooked, but like, I was extremely intrigued. I was like, that sound, that's so cool. Like that, it got me, you know what I mean? It was kind of one of those right. popping moments where you just get a little goosebumpy and you're like, man, that was cool. He runs out there. He, you know, has that interaction. I think he hit a curb stomp on, uh, who was on Lesnar and, right. and pins him for the, for the belt. And I couldn't believe it. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, you know, his face, but also like now being a more seasoned fan, re- knowing what that meant for Seth Rollins at the time, uh, really, even if he's told before he goes out there, Hey, you're going out there, you're winning this thing to see it when he ran back up the ramp and held the belt above his head. Uh, that was my first real memory. And the first thing that made me go, wow, this is, this is really cool because it can evoke emotion. And those are the type of moments that, you know, that draw you in as an older fan. You know, because you have a more of an understanding the older you get of emotion. A younger fan, and I can go ahead and segue this into my my moment, if you don't mind. No, go for it. Uh, <laughs> my moment was, wrestling was always around the, the family. Uh, Saturday mornings at my house was always Memphis Wrestling, 11 o'clock. And uh, it was always on. It was on during breakfast or lunch or whatever, whatever have you. And we all watched it with the exception of my mom. <laughs> We all watched it. I, I had two older brothers in the house, and they watched it. They were into it. But my oldest brother, uh, Jimmy, uh, JJ, as we call him in the family, was the one that was most into it. And my dad was into it, but JJ was really into it. And uh, in our household, it was Jerry the King Lawler, and that was the king of wrestling. You know, it was he was over Hulk Hogan at that time. He was, he was the man uh, in our world. Well, my uncle had got some free tickets because uh, – something with the radio show here in Louisville and uh, they uh, USWA Memphis wrestling came to Louisville every Tuesday night at the Louisville gardens. It might've been CWA at the time, but it was the same set. And uh, <laughs> my uncle had three, three free tickets, the tongue twister this morning. And uh, he gave them to my dad and my dad and my brother took a three-year-old Dean <laughs> to a wrestling show front row. And, I remember watching this show. Now you're talking a three-year-old. It's hard to keep a three-year-old's attention. I watched this show from beginning to end. And at the end of the night, I didn't want to leave. But what really got me was the main event was it involved Jerry Lawler and superstar Bill Dundee. And those were the two biggest names in our household as far as wrestling was concerned at the time. And I ended up getting Jerry Lawler's blood on my T-shirt that night. I had a white <laughs> T-shirt on. Ended up with Lawler's blood on me. This was That's back when awesome. Yeah, days when Kentucky, you could bleed and brawl in the crowd and all that. And uh, I went home, and I wouldn't let my mom wash the shirt. My mom flipped out for one thing, that I had blood on me, obviously. But I would not let mom wash the shirt. This is a three-year-old thinking that way. And from that point on, I was absolutely 100% hooked, for better or for worse, on professional wrestling. Wow. That's such a cool story. I um, <laughs> I will openly admit that... I have only ever been to one live show before, uh, which is is kind of stinks because I do live up in the Northeast and there are plenty of shows that come up in this area, uh, you know, here and there between uh, Raw, SmackDown, even uh, Ring of Honor comes up here. But I've only ever even been to one live show. So to find out that I, I didn't know this about you, that that's how your uh, your fandom started at three years old. That's that's pretty hardcore. I really like that. 
Yeah, yeah, it was hardcore indeed. It started a precedent for me as, as to what I thought professional wrestling should be. But that's another episode. <laughs> that, there's a whole lot there in that context. Right. If I can ask a personal question here, what what year was that? I know this is probably going to give away your age for the people in the audience who can do math, but when was this? That would be 1984, and that would be right before Hulkamania started. Right. So this is like prime time for wrestling. Like that's an absolute, you know, I I don't know if they would consider that the golden age, but... That was was prime time for wrestling. (laughs) Wrestling? Yeah, that that was before, you know, Vince McMahon Jr. He had already started his national takeover and was starting to do, like, national TVs. That was before he brung back Hogan. Hogan wasn't even in the WWF at the time or the WWF at the time, whatever they called it. He wasn't even there yet. He had been fired by Vince Sr. I know we're going off on a tangent. He had been fired by Vince Sr. for doing Rocky. And he was back in AWA at the time. So Hogan wasn't even there. He hadn't beat the Sheik for the belt. Hulkamania hadn't started. There was no rock and wrestling. The wrestling that we watched in our household was Memphis wrestling. And we lived and breathed by it. It was, it was the end-all, be-all for us. So it was wrestling. It was wrestling in our house. <laughs> With an A. Wrestling. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I feel now I feel a little gypped because when I started watching the product, it was already being referred to as sports entertainment. Right, yeah. Th- this in '84. I mean, it, the older people were smart, smartened enough to know, like, okay, you know, it's a work. But you know, when you were younger, like, there's people like Tristan, my eight-year-old. He knows that wrestling's a work. Now he's been around wrestling his whole life. He's been in a ring, and he's he he's seen he's been to training sessions, and he knows, like, okay, it's a work. But like, he'll tell you, like, you know, well, daddy's daddy's a wrestler, but he won't say fake. Like he says, it's, it's predetermined. It's a work. You know, so, but back then, you know, if you were under a certain age, you believed. And a lot of people, you know, to, to look back on, a lot of people that were older believed. You know, I know that my my dad grew up in a household that was wrestling fans and believers. And they watched, you know, they had a big tan on the top of the hill and they brought in wrestling from Tennessee. And they they watched, you know, wrestling and they were believers. And my dad still was a believer. You know, as a matter of fact, it wasn't until I got into the business and I had to you know, show dad, like, this is a work, you know, so a lot of that generation still believes and the crowds were ravenous. It was totally different than the ravenous smart crowds. Now, these were people that believed that, you know, they wanted Jerry Lawler, their hero to pretty much show murder in the ring, whoever he was working that night. And they believed <laughs> it. It was, it was with the fervor. And it was something for a three-year-old to see too. And it takes a special type of mind from a three-year-old to jump into that and be like, Oh yeah. You know, I'm afraid of this. I love it. Totally different. Wow. That's awesome. So uh, now that we've kind of established what made us wrestling fans in the first place, uh, what was your path from there? So once you, you know, you're three years old, you get Lawler's blood on your t-shirt. And then what takes you from that introduction to, you know, making sure that you're, you know, following what's going on? Was it pretty much kind of a an instantaneous sort of transition right into you know, continuing to watch every week, understanding a little bit more of the storylines. And as you grow older, kind of just understanding what's going on. Was that kind of your, your transition into being a full-time fan? Well, from that point on, I was watching everything that would come on television about wrestling, whether it was a wrestling program or anything. I, I watched it. Now, Memphis was mainly what we had, but once Hulkamania started, 
then I think my mom, and I'll blame my mom for this, and she'll blame everybody else in the world for me becoming a wrestling fan, but I think my mom saw the, w, the WWF as more of a kid-friendly, you know, a lot less blood. You know, they might not, they might go a whole year without blood and only have blood at WrestleMania or whatever, you know, or uh, they might just have it for big angles. But Memphis, if you, buy, if you buy a ticket to a Memphis show, you're going to see some blood. You're going to see some wild brawls. But I think my mom saw uh, WWF at the time as an alternative to give a more kid-friendly version of wrestling. So she really adopted uh, the, like, WWF programming in the house once it's become national. And she even went as far as, like, she got me a, a subscription when I was, I want to say, six to the WWF magazine. And so I kind of became more of a WWF fan. I still follow Memphis wrestling, but WWF, there was so much of it out there. Uh, I mean, people talk about how there's so much content on TV now. There was a lot of content then. I mean, WWF would be on Tuesdays with Tuesday Night Titans. Uh, Saturday morning would have superstars. Uh, and they had some, like, Saturday night syndication programs and Sunday morning syndication programs. So if you knew where to watch, there was a lot of WWF content. And I've, I've swallowed all that up. I've watched every single last bit of wrestling that I could from that point on. That makes sense. I, I started, I, oh, go ahead. Then I started, uh, my, my mom was the first person to buy me a WWF ticket. And the very first show I went to was a, that was a WWF show was at Global Gardens, which is the Mecca in Kentucky, which is a shame that no longer truly exists. The building's still there, but they no longer run any shows there. And uh, the first WWF event that uh, I went to was uh, the main event was Hulk Hogan uh, versus uh, I'm losing it now. Hulk Hogan versus uh, King Harley Race in the main event <laughs> at uh, Louisville Gardens, which, you know, Harley Race, if you know anything about the history of the NWA, which back then I just saw Harley Race as always just a hill, but Harley Race was one of the greatest NWA champions of all time before coming to WWF. Right, that is one area of my knowledge that I've uh, I've tried to spiff up a little bit on was the NWA uh, race, uh, also uh, you know Dusty Rhodes, the history behind the NWA championship when Cody and uh, Nick Aldis were fighting at All In uh, over the NWA championship. I actually kind of it, there was a little uh, spurt where I was like, huh, like NWA, like how does that relate? Like you know, being one of the last true feds, I guess. Uh, I really did a little bit of research into that. So I have done a little research. So that's actually kind of cool that you saw that as a main event. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, the undercard had great matches that, you know, I can look back on now and be like, wow, I should have appreciated that more. But, you know, at that point, you know, I was six or seven years old. So, you know, you're there to see the characters and the colors and the bright lights to go to a WWF show. Uh, from that point on, you're probably talking a string of a decade where there wasn't a WWF show that didn't come through, that came through Louisville that I didn't attend. And wow. that's all that's all on my mom. <laughs> so she can she could take some blame for the love of wrestling that I have. Uh, yeah, the path was pretty similar for me, too. Um, after, uh, you know, kind of getting on YouTube, watching some of the, um, you know, clips from WrestleMania 31 after uh, Seth Rollins, I, I, it, it kind of it was a little bit of a slower start. Uh, I didn't start watching Raw and SmackDown immediately. Uh, I kind of was following along with clips. It had me intrigued, again, like I said, but not necessarily hooked immediately. Uh, but I, you know, I kind of slowly slipped into uh, the world of pro wrestling, watching YouTube clips, looking at, uh, you know, different characters and different, uh, you know, gimmicks that I thought were really neat. I, I've always been most interested, I think, in the... Um, 
I don't want to say the hype, but it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm a very, uh, I guess I'm kind of an emotional person. I connect with emotional moments uh, and good, uh, you know, like, like, let's say like a hype package, like a video package for a match or, uh, you know, an entrance or a moment that really, uh, you know, would make a crowd pop. Uh, that was kind of the stuff that at the time I was really interested in. I was a little less interested in some of the storylines and more interested with who was relevant, uh, what they did, what they, what their characters were. Uh, and then, but then like, again, like I said, I started watching some of these video packages that they put out. I was like, oh, wow, they're really building up this, this big match. There's a lot on the line here. Uh, so I would, you know, start watching Monday Night Raw or start watching a pay-per-view here and there. Uh, and then probably about, uh, I'd probably say three, four months later, I, at that point, I was just started watching uh, Raw every night, or every Monday night, I should say. Uh, SmackDown, I was a little more hit and miss with at the time. I think it was still on Thursdays, and I actually had some classes on Thursdays, so I wasn't able to catch every SmackDown. But I watched every Raw, and at the time, I mean, that was really when I got hooked. And I, I kind of thought, and, and I hate to be the jaded fan now, uh, but I thought Raw was like, the best like every single monday night like i was so hyped to watch raw and in a sense i still am excited uh to see what will happen but uh nowadays if i miss a show then i'm not you know i'm not devastated i'll get online and and see what happened uh i make sure to watch all the pay-per-views and stuff but i think my uh my time has now been divided when it does come to time for wrestling my time's a little more divided between wwe and uh following other stuff uh such as like new japan and stuff so it, it, it took a little while for me, um, but why don't we jump real quick into one of our first real emotional moments? What was something that really uh, got you? And I know I'm kind of setting this question up for myself, <laughs> but uh, one of the first things that really got me on an emotional level, like, again, I did connect with the, uh, with the Seth Rollins cash-in, but one of the next things that I really remember, really sticks out in my mind, was in early 2016. I want to say it was in uh, probably late winter, early spring of 2016. Uh, Daniel Bryan retired. Uh, and that was the first time that I remember seeing uh, something on my screen that wasn't a work. And I didn't even, at the time, I wouldn't have called it a work or wouldn't have called it a shoot. Uh, but I, I watched that, or not at work, I'm sorry, it was a shoot, it was real. And I'm watching this, and he comes out, and just the tone of his voice made me think, like, is this, is this not, you know, I, I was questioning it. And nowadays we have moments here and there within WWE where we wonder, is this real, is this a shoot, is this a work? Uh, similarly to we were talking about last week about the Dean Ambrose situation currently. Uh, but when he started talking about his health, uh, you know, his neck, I just, I kind of realized this is, this is real. This is really this guy, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, whatever you want to call him. He's coming out here and he's really upset because he's having to retire from something that he loves. Uh, and thankfully we know the end of that story now, but in the moment uh, it was extremely emotional. And that man, I teared up for a second because that crowd reaction that he got, people were crying in the crowd uh, and that was the first time that I remember watching wrestling and it really hitting an emotional, uh, you know, kind of touch point for me. Yeah. And, you know, and wrestling of all means has a way of sneaking up on you and doing that to you, doesn't it? You know, that like, you can watch a movie and, you know, like on the label of the movie that you're watching, if it's a drama or what type of movie it is. And, and you can prepare yourself emotionally for what's going to happen in that movie. 
you know, and I know that's a very a, a stark contrast of a way to talk about on a wrestling podcast, but it's the same thing except for exactly different. Because wrestling, you don't know what you're going to get, man. You tune in, you don't know if you're just going to get a night of like hard, you know, stomping action, if you're going to get a storyline driven, or if you're going to get something real. And that's the beauty of professional wrestling is you never truly know what can, what's going to happen. We can sit here and predict it all day and, and be accurate 90% of the time, but at the same token, you never really know what's going to happen at a wrestling event. Yeah, 100%. Um, what That kind of springs to mind, uh, actually, while we're you know halfway through our show, <laughs> that springs to mind uh, one of the topics from this uh, last week's Raw when Roman Reigns returned after uh, his battle with leukemia. And that really just goes to show as well. That was another instance when he came out and uh, made that announcement four or five months ago uh, that he had been taken on leukemia. It, you know, it was hugely emotional. No one was really prepared for it emotionally. Uh, However, the booking, you know, went after that with relation to it is another subject. Uh, But it was, it was huge. And just like this past Monday night, he came out and they only said that he was going to make an announcement. Uh, and I don't believe that everyone was filled in when he made the first announcement or made this one. So it was kind of up in the air on what, what this would be. Does this mean, you know, he, if things are going well, he's going to be out another six months. Is he returning now? Um, so there's always uh, room, just like you said, for wrestling to really uh, surprise you. Uh, and that's one of the greatest things about the medium, I think. Now, now my first moment where I became emotionally, deeply emotionally invested in wrestling was I was still very young, and it, this was a work, uh, but it was a work that got me because of my fandom of Hulk Hogan had become so large at this point that, I mean, I had a flipping Hulk Hogan toothbrush. He was everywhere in my house. Like, everything was Hulk Hogan. And uh, I'm sure you know, he'd appreciate guy, the fact you were brushing yeah, your teeth with him. Oh, I, I'm sure, brother. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the WrestleMania 8, uh, the main event was actually supposed to be Flair versus Hogan, then it got changed to Sid versus Hogan. Because, you know, backstory on that, they did the Flair-Hogan match, and they thought it was going to be huge. They did it on the house show circuit and didn't draw any numbers. So they switched to Sid, who was, you know, Vince's golden boy at the time, to take Hogan's place. And uh, it was teased for three months before this that it was going that it could be Hogan's last match. And they did vignettes with Hogan, and uh, Vince was wearing a black tuxedo in front of two large pictures of Hogan. It's iconic, and everybody's seen it. Probably everybody's seen it. And of Hogan, of Vince shaking Hogan's hand and says, if this is your last match, it was one you know, heck of a run or something along those lines. And I became invested, like, to the point that, like, I begged. My mom was like, you got to get this pay-per-view. Because normally I went to my friend's house and watched the pay-per-views. But this friend had moved. And I said, you got to get this pay-per-view for me. And back then you had to go get a super box that they called. You had to go to the cable company and rent this box. And then rent the pay-per-view. And then had to return the box. It was a big hassle to get a pay-per-view back in the day, especially wow. in our area. So they did. My grandma and my mom, they copped for it. They are like, okay, you can watch this stupid show on a Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and watching Hogan leave the ring that night, which he didn't officially announce his retirement, but, like, you knew that was it. And, and he was going to be gone for a good while. But you, you really, as a child, like, you believed he was gone. This was a big chunk of my childhood, already leaving at a young age, you know. And I cried. I cried. My mother had to console me. <laughs> of course, of course, they did a wonky finish and, you know, Ultimate Warrior return and Papa Shango and all this garbage. And, and the match was crap. It just, it just was. Looking back on it, it was crap. But as a child, 
you know, I became so emotionally invested at that point. Like, even then I realized I was like, man, like, you know, my childhood. So I'm attending right now. And you, you, you identify like that moment, like with that, and that's emotional investment. Like if you, if something correlates, you know, and jars a memory for you, that's a, a emotional investment. So like every time that I've seen them reference that on network shows or whatever, it, 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 I still get that feeling in my gut of like, oh, remember how bad I felt that night. That's that's a true emotional investment. Wow. Yeah. It really sounds like you were, uh, you bought into it and that you, uh, you know, you were really connected to the product. So that's, that's really interesting to hear for me when it was the Daniel Bryan retirement, I really, uh, it, it wasn't much of a connection. There was a little teardrop down my eye because of how emotional the moment was, uh, and, and the fan reaction, but I was not even super connected at that point because if I remember correctly, Daniel Bryan had been off TV for a little while. So I had only ever seen Daniel Bryan just a little bit. Uh, and obviously WrestleMania 30 was the kind of the crowning moment of the, the yes movement. So I didn't actually have as much of an emotional connection to that moment, but it still, you know, was emotional enough to really make me feel something. And what, and what's, what's odd about you saying that is that wrestling still does that to me. Like, you know, it has to be more real to me now, but I mean, I watched raw on Tuesday and my wife made fun of me for crying. And I was like, you, I was like, you've been around the business, Leslie. <laughs> you know, you know that I'm not going to cry if something's at work. Like, this is real. She said, oh, it's real that she understood. But, like, I didn't, I wasn't bawling, crying. I had tears going on. I feel good for the guy. You know, that's something to overcome. That's a good story. You know, and and now with everything, you know, wanting, wanting to have that realism, that's something that, you know, someone that does have those struggles in their life can stand by and, like, give them that little shot in the arm, you know. Of course, I am an emotional guy, you know. Contrary to the popular belief, I am. Like, I'm a different guy at home than I am everywhere else. I am an emotional guy. And, uh, you know, it, it's just it, the wrestling still does it to me. It could have been any other medium. That's the, the point I'm trying to make is it could have been any, any other medium, you know. You pick, you know, it could have been how Miley Cyrus could have came out six months ago and said she had leukemia and then come out. You know, this past Monday, and she could have said, you know, I'm in remission, I beat it, I wouldn't have cried, you know, because there's not that attachment there. There's something different about being a fan of professional wrestling than there is about being a fan of any other medium of, you know, entertainment. Yeah, and I think that says something about the, uh, because the nature of pro wrestling uh, generally is that it's all, you know, predetermined. When something real does happen, it makes it all that much more emotional because you have to say, wait a second, this is this is a real thing. When Roman came out uh, four or five months ago and made his initial announcement, he started, he said, you know, you guys have seen me out here, you know, working and all this, but it's basically all a lie. He said, my real name is Joe. And when he said my real name is Joe, the air just sucked out of the whole place. And we knew we were witnessing something real. And because, you know, because it exists in a space that is predetermined, real, you know, real action, real hits, but predetermined results, when something like that happens, I think that's what really amplifies the emotional uh, moment. Yeah, agreed. Agreed 100%. It's, it's a platform for when something does get real, for it to be really real, that makes sense. So let's talk real quick, uh, moving on from, you know, emotional moments, what made us a fan. Let's talk uh, on a little bit more of a uh, of a happy note here. What was one of your favorite matches looking back over the years 
uh, and I can't even, it's hard to say one, but what were a couple matches that stick out to you in your memory as either being extremely, uh, you know, exceptional matches themselves, maybe they were very emotional moments. Uh, what's something in your mind that sticks out to you as a, as a memory moving on, you know, throughout the timeline of your, uh, you know, your fandom? Well, I can just, I can narrow it down to one match and um, it's probably going to surprise you a little bit. It won't surprise you about the names involved. Uh, but the what surprises me is that you can narrow it down to one. <laughs> I can narrow it down to one because of the impact that it had. That oh, wow. No, no, it um, does. I had, at this point, we're talking go, leading up to WrestleMania 25. I had dabbled in the wrestling business as a performer. I'd done a few shows. Um, I'd, you know, had parts, business dealings and lost, you know, quite a bit of money. This was, you know, prior to me starting Southern Wrestling Entertainment and blah, blah, blah. And had, um, had, 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 been, had become jaded. You know, at this point, I'd been a fan for, you know, 27 years probably of the wrestling business. Uh, had one little break in there at some point and come right back and just and, and ate, ate all of it up. And at this point, I was on a, on a break from the wrestling business. Even though the product was extremely, you know, good in my opinion at that time, because I went back and watched it all, I had to, I had to just totally cut myself off from it. And uh, WrestleMania 25, uh, Heaven versus Hell, The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. That match, I, I I I bought WrestleMania out of pure habit. Let's put it that way, and was sitting at home watching it. You know, and at this point, you know, I'd married and you know. But had become a father, and um, was watching this show, and then the ma- this match happened, and this match was so epic, and it had you know two of my favorite superstars of all time, and it's probably, in all honesty, it's probably number one and number two in the ring at the same time for me. Um, having just the best match, a match that you could never you know duplicate, uh, and telling the story, I didn't, I hadn't watched any of the build up to the show, but I knew the story from what happened in the ring. It was just a perfect match. And, and at that point, I became so invested again. At that point, I said, you, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to start my own fed because this, you know, I, I, I grasp this so well. And it's such a part of me that I belong in that business on some level. So that match in its own drug me back from being done. You know, I told myself I was done with professional wrestling. I wasn't going to get that involved in it anymore. It dragged me back into professional wrestling because the match was so epic and so well done. And, you know, looking back on it, I can look back on that match and look back at everything that led up to it. And I can tell you every single last bit of it now, but I, I didn't, I had no clue going into it. I knew the match was on the card. That was it. And that match was so well done and so epic that, it, it just literally dragged me out of the bowels and made me love professional wrestling again. And that was probably like the deepest I'd ever felt about professional wrestling. It was a part of me at that point. And truly, it hasn't left since then. That's such a man. This is why I love doing this kind of episode with you, because I'm really finding out a lot about your uh, about you and about, uh, you know, the things that hit home with you. And I, I appreciate that. Um, so I've told the podcast before, and I think I've told you a little bit that despite being a fan for, you know, only about five years or so now, um, I have gone back to see certain matches, things that are recommended to me, things that, you know, I really just feel. And like I said, unfortunately, I don't always have the time that I, uh, 
that I really want to really look back and uh, educate myself. But that is one of the first matches that I went back to watch uh, online after, you know, after I just heard so much hype about it online. Uh, and mind you, this is 10 years later, basically. Um, I've just heard so much good things uh, about the match. So that was one of the first ones that I made a point when I first started getting into wrestling uh, a little bit deeper. That was one of the first ones that I made a point to go back and watch. And there's really not much more that can be said than what you just said. It was it was a masterpiece, basically. Um, and Shawn Michaels specifically, uh, that was one of the moments that he became one of my favorite wrestlers. And that uh, watching that match caused me to watch uh, Michaels versus Flair at WrestleMania. It caused me to watch, uh, you know, some of the old DX stuff. It, it basically got me on a little bit of a Shawn Michaels kick. Went back and watched, uh, you know, the Rockers break up uh, at the the barber shop. Uh, that that basically caused me to become a fan of Shawn Michaels in one match. Uh, just had to, you know, I knew about him, but didn't know a lot about his uh, his history, the things that he had done. And him versus Undertaker and him versus uh, Ric Flair basically became two of my favorite matches of all time after watching those uh, based solely on his ability to tell the story in the ring, like you said, as well as, um, you know, just the, the psychology is is incredible. And uh, I think we've actually mentioned in, in previous episodes, but the fact that he's working now in the performance center with some of the guys from NXT uh, it really shows through, and that's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of uh, of NXT and some of the things that they've been doing lately, because the ability to bring forward a story into the ring, not just let the story be in the hype package, but let the story carry into your actions, um, it's just something that, uh, it's tough to match, and not everyone has that, and Shawn Michaels, you know, made me a believer immediately, so I, I can totally, totally emphasize uh, with what you're saying. So what about you, man? What about your uh, your matches you may have narrowed down? Sure. So uh, there, there's a few, and that's why I think it's uh, it's so incredible that you having, you know, been a part of this for, for so many years can narrow it down to that one match. But I understand why, because it had such a such an impact on you. Uh, for me, it's, it's almost tougher because uh, I don't know if any one match has, uh, you know, inspired me or made me. Uh, feel any certain way, just like uh, you just said. But there have been many matches on a similar level that, uh, you know, just made me come to an even greater appreciation or emotional connection uh, to the wrestlers, to their ability to tell the story. Uh, so a couple ones that come to mind specifically. Um, so the first one that comes to mind is uh, the Revival versus DIY in NXT and uh, their series of matches. Uh, that they had in uh, DIY's attempt to uh, get the NXT Tag Team Championships. There, uh, I believe it was a two out, two out of three falls match in 2016 or 17. Uh, my my goodness, that was one of my favorite matches because they really, uh, you know, they were those characters. They, it wasn't performers going out there and saying, you know, here's who I am in my promos, but now I'm just going to be a good wrestler. They embody those four guys. And it makes me sad for for the revival on Raw, despite the fact they're champions, they're getting beat every night. Um, their ability, all four of those guys, to go out there and be the characters uh, in the ring, as well as you know on the mic, go out there and uh, the revival. You know, their whole whole idea was no flips, just fists. They're old school classic wrestlers, and that they stay true to that. They don't go out there and do any you know hurricane ranas or 
uh, or moonsaults. They're really just going out there and being a classic heel tag team. And then you have these uh, these valiant baby faces of uh, Gargano and Ciampa. They get in there and, I mean, just some of the action and the storytelling that they were able to put on across those three matches, but especially the uh, two out of three falls match in, uh, I think it was TakeOver Chicago, was just mind-blowing to me. And then there was a spot at the very, not the very end, but pr- pretty close, uh, where the Revival were locked in submission holds. Uh, Gargano and Ciampa, I think Gargano Escape and Ciampa, I can't remember what his move's called, but he, they, they each have them in some sort of submission hold in the middle of the ring, and they're both looking like they're going to tap out. And Wilder, I think, I'm trying to remember whether it was uh, uh, Dawson or Wilder, one of them grabs the other guy's hand to stop him from tapping out. Like, they both look like they're going to tap, and they grab hands, and he goes, no, you don't tap. And he's holding his hand, and there's pain on their face, but they're not tapping. And I was like, that moment right there, I was just like, this guy, like, that, that kind of storytelling, because they were so dedicated to, you know, it made the championship feel worth something. Like, they knew how to value those belts. And at the time, during their feud, the NXT Tag Team Championships, a secondary championship on a secondary brand, to me, was the most important championship in WWE because of the way that those guys made it feel in their promos and especially in their matches. Uh, So that one springs to mind as just... I remember where I was, and I remember watching that, and that moment when they grab each other's hands to stop from tapping out. Um, that basically just elevated that match in my mind uh, and, and made it just uh, one that really sticks out. Another thing that sticks out uh, is also, uh, <laughs> and you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me for this, but it's uh, New Japan. It's Kenny Omega and uh, Kazuchika Okada and their series of matches in New Japan that you know Dave Meltzer gave what, six and a half stars or whatever it was. Yeah, that's right. It, it broke the star scale. Yeah, it broke the star scale. And that one I appreciated. I mean, the psychology was great, obviously, and there was a really good story uh, behind Kenny, you know, really trying and failing to capture the belt. And uh, and finally, you know, of course, throughout that story winning. Uh, but the 60-minute time limit draw that they had was, uh, it was just crazy to me to think that, that kind of thing could be booked in 2000 and, you know, what was it, 17 or 18 at the time, that you could book a 60-minute time limit draw and still send fans home happy. That was incredible to me. But also, really, that trilogy of matches for me was really about the work rate, to see the kind of effort that people put into their matches in order to, um, you know, to please the fans, to, to tell a story. But the fact that they would just put their bodies... On, on the line, essentially, uh, and, and work at that high of a rate for... And, you know, those matches built slowly, but, I mean, by the time you were 20 minutes into that match, they were full out, you know, throwing finishers around, and the absolute, you know, toll that it takes on someone's body in dedication to wrestling and to, to this thing that we love, uh, that blew my mind. I couldn't believe that someone would willingly go through that uh, as a performer, so th- those two trilogy of matches actually really stand out in my mind. And you know, you can you can have a good match, but give me a reason to care about it beyond it, and I'm hooked. And I, I, I agree with you that both of those series had all of that, and then some. You know, it, it was <laughs> those matches, those types, those types of matches, and those types of feuds that can literally make someone a fan. You, you put that in a capsule to your friends that. 
and say, I'm not a wrestling fan. Okay, watch this. Those are the types of things. You know, going back to the Shawn Michaels Undertaker match. Okay, you're not a fan? Watch this match. You're going to have some appreciation, if not love, for the business that they're watching it. 100%. And I should also note that the uh, the third match between DIY and The Revival, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that was uh, when DIY, they were unable to to win the championships uh, and, you know, really feeling feeling pretty down about it. And that was, I believe, that was the night that uh, Ciampa turned on Gargano. Uh, and, man, WWE got me, too, because they, they're walking up the ramp with their arms wrapped around one another, and they turn around and, you know, everyone's just a little nervous. What's going to happen here? You know, you're thinking that there's going to be some sort of development and uh whether whether it's a heel turn or what and wwe puts up that little watermark that they put up at the end of pay-per-views and it was like nope we're safe cool nothing's happening nothing's gonna go on and then gargano just grabbed uh or no champa grabs gargano basically by the collar and the and the belt and throws him into the uh, lcd screen behind him and that that kicked off what is you know even now coming just now to completion probably this wrestlemania uh, weekend, basically one of the uh, one of the best storylines that's been happening in an NXT since, and I mean that's a year, year and a half in the making. And I'll, I'll take that further. I think that's been the best angle they've had in all of WWE for for that amount of time, in my opinion. Based off the continuity and every single time they're in the ring together, it feels important. That's been the biggest the biggest feud for a pure for a purest wrestling fan. It's been the biggest angle that they've had in the last year and a half, two years. No, actually, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I personally, for me, it's only been tainted a little bit here lately due to their appearance on the main roster. Uh, and I, I hate to say that because I know for guys in a lot of guys in NXT, uh, that's that's making it. Uh, but I would have much rather seen them called up after uh, WrestleMania this year and really let that story uh, kind of almost uh, kind of simmer, let the tension really uh, build up in the uh, in the build up to what is probably, I'm thinking, going to be a blow-off match between the two of them uh, over WrestleMania weekend. And to see them tag together on the main roster the last few weeks, is, uh, it's tainted it a little bit for me. I agree. Uh, so do you have any more uh, standout moments in your fandom? Um, I, can give you one, I can give you one more quick one before we go off the air. Let's do that. Go for it. You, you grab one, I'll take a think. But uh, yeah, get, get us that one last moment. Okay. Um, by this point, I had been promoting wrestling for about two years and promoting Southern Wrestling Entertainment, running weekly shows, sometimes two shows a week, uh, a lot of overload in the wrestling business. You know, uh, we had a we had a training school uh, and we were there three nights a week. And so I was just eating and sleeping and breathing wrestling along with, you know, having a 60 hour a week shoot job, day job. And I'd kind of, you know, my love was still there, but I was just burnt out. You know, I was completely burned out. And I don't, I want to spare the details on this angle because I would actually like for us to do a podcast about this angle to break down like the anatomy of an angle for someone who may be purely on the outskirts as a fan to kind of understand like how a, a slow burn angle works. But uh, over the course of six weeks, uh, we had had these uh, mid card, this mid card hill group. And I'll, like I said, I'm going to spare the details. Uh, jumping, you know, upper card guys, whether they were baby faces or heels, and laying them out. And, you know, 
we we paid those guys to stay home basically after that. They were out. We kept them out. If you got jumped, you were out. And uh, <laughs> come the end of the six weeks, all of us baby faces and heels, we appeared together as this baby face faction that was defending SWE. And I thought, okay, we, we've wrote a good angle here. This is going to be good. It's going to be something that's going to carry us through the summer. You know, we're going to get, we're going to be able to run, you know, two or three months worth of shows off this angle. But the feeling when all six of us came out, we came out separately. And I was obviously involved in it. You know, I'm the promoter. I'm going to put myself in some hot stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we all came out. And once again, you know, the backstory is baby faces and heels. It's guys that have been embroidered up and up until this were in feuds against each other that were deep, you know, rooted in hatred feuds. And we all came out again separately. But when that last music hit and the fans realized what was happening and the pure excitement and enjoyment that the fans gave for that moment. And that moment when we all came out, you know, separately but together because we wanted to have that moment of, okay, who's going to come next? And then by the time three or four of us had came out, the fans realized what was going on, and it built up, and it built up, and it built up. And then when the last person who came out, I'll give that away, it was Cash Flow. When the last person came out and formed our group, and our group, we called ourselves the Saints going forward. We were the Saints of SWE. You know, we had our reasons to be together, but we weren't necessarily buddies, you know, but we had our reasons to be together. We were defending what was ours and what we had built. The reaction and the excitement and the enjoyment that was just pure coming from our fans at the time uh, was one of those moments to me that reassured that I was where I needed to be. And it made me feel that I, that was the most joy I'd ever had in a wrestling ring. And, you know, we, and it was just cutting a promo. We come out, random off, cut a promo. And just in that moment of cutting that promo was the happiest I'd ever been in the wrestling ring. It fulfilled me creatively. It was just purely an enlightened moment. But I do want to go back at some point and have some guests on and cover that angle from beginning to end because it's it's pretty much so a masterpiece, in my opinion. And it could give you, Caleb, you know, Caleb, it can give you a good understanding of the inner workings of how a slow burn angle works. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I'd love to have uh, have any of your guests on and, and talk about that. I personally have a bit of affinity for... Uh, a slow burn or, or a long-term angle. Uh, I personally think that uh, WWE tends to book in uh, in a very short term, or uh, I don't want to say short-sighted, but uh, that you know some of their angles that carry uh, they they seem to have no beginning, no end. Stuff flows into one another, and uh, things are you know paid off only you know a month at a time per pay-per-view. And sometimes when they are able to book, especially in NXT, like we talked about, uh, they're able to book a real nice, like long-term storytelling uh, sort of angle. New Japan tends to do that quite a lot as well due to the uh, due to the less shows that they run uh, in terms of like a pay-per-view schedule. They're able to run those, uh, those long-term angles as well. And that's something that I've always been uh, very much a fan of and appreciate uh, as a adult fan who, you know, has a, a longer attention span than I think the folks that WWE are targeting sometimes. Yeah, so um, I, I guess I will give one more quick uh, one more quick thing as I'm thinking. You you mentioned just now that that was a really emotional moment for you, and even then you guys only came out and uh, not only, but you, you came out and cut a promo. There wasn't even necessarily a match happening at the time. Um, it made me think, what are some of the best 
promos that stick out to you? And we'll end with this today. Uh, but what are some of the best promos that really stick out to you that, sure, maybe you've even been a part of or, uh, you know, maybe on television, something that really got you built for a match, um, you know, or maybe not even there wasn't even a match from it. But one of the best moments you remember someone talking uh, and really just getting a reaction or, or making you invested in something. Oh, man. Well, you know, <laughs> mine's kind of comedic. You know, but it, it, it lured me in. The buildup for Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam, uh, you kind of got the feeling of, of that backstage, you know, Shawn was probably supposed to go over. And then looking back on everything I've read on, he was. And then Hogan changed his mind. And then the whole course of the promos changed. It went from a, I just have to know if I can beat you from Shawn Michaels. The pure pure mockery of Hulk Hogan's character by Shawn Michaels. <laughs> there was a, a uh, moment. Um, well, actually, it was a it was a taped promo where uh, Shawn Michaels appeared as Hulk Hogan on a on a fake Larry King live episode. And I don't know if you've seen it, but I you know you had to go back and watch it because it was great. And you could tell everything he was saying because he was mocking Hogan in, in Hogan's voice and Hogan attire. He was talking about how Hogan isn't going to put anyone over, how Hogan's, you know, old and this, that, and the other, and how he's going to politic his way to going over on Sean at SummerSlam. And just the way that it was done, and there was emotion in a taped segment. That was the only taped segment ever that I have felt emotionally, you know, invested in, because you feel as though, man, he's, tell he's touching on something real here. I know it's taped, but he's touching on something real, and I want to see what happens at this match because I know it's either going to be the greatest thing ever or the most hilarious thing ever. And it turned out to be the most hilarious thing ever. If you go back <laughs> and watch the match, Shawn Michaels spends 20 minutes overselling for Hulk Hogan. Everything Hogan does, he makes look as hokey as possible. And just go back and watch it. Go back and watch that, uh, that Larry King segment. And you'll you'll get what I'm saying. It, it actually emotionally invests you to the point where you want to watch it. Even if you're a jaded, long-term wrestling fan who's seen everything, you'll want to see that match after that promo. And, you know, those are the type of things that I believe, you know, when something is it, it, going to invest me or have me become invested, those are the type of things that get me even now. And those are the type of things that are missing from wrestling, you know, and sports entertainment, you know, as we stand currently. Yeah, I've actually uh, heard of the match and uh, definitely, uh, you know, you know, heard about uh, some of the things that happened there. But I've not actually seen any of the video packages or promos uh, preceding the match, nor have I actually seen the match uh, in its entirety. I think I've seen a couple, you know, GIFs or, uh, or clips online uh, from it, but haven't seen all of it. So that's actually uh, some good homework for me to take a look at uh, looking back. For me, I think uh, I'm trying to think of of something that really stood out in terms of promos, and I, I figured you'd have something good, and of course you did. Uh, maybe this is a little bit of recency bias for me, uh, but I was actually very invested when uh, SmackDown Live first started uh, two or three years ago, and you know the new brand split happened. I want to say maybe that was only about uh, two and a half years ago or so when they split the first. Uh, I think it was about the first year, year and a half 
of that. Uh, SmackDown was was just, I think, in its prime. At the time, you had John Cena, AJ Styles, uh, Dean Ambrose. There was uh, a number of other top guys on there. And I thought SmackDown was, was far and away the sur- superior show. Uh, and now I think it's leveled out a little bit more, but I do prefer SmackDown, uh, probably because of the, the two-hour window. I feel like Raw uh, puts me to sleep sometimes. Uh, but as I mentioned, those three guys I mentioned, John Cena, uh, Dean Ambrose, and AJ Styles, they had this amazing in-ring segment together where they were kind of all in contention for the WWE Championship. And Dean Ambrose, of of all people, and I mean, I know he's a good promo, but uh, oftentimes I think his stuff has felt, especially recently, felt a little uh, scripted. But he came out and cut a fantastic promo on both uh, on John Cena and also uh, AJ Styles and basically told AJ, you know, you're the new hotness. And, and, you know, you just got here and you don't deserve all of this. I'm the one who's, you know, been here for however many years working my butt off and not, not getting the kind of, you know, respect I deserve. And he's saying all this as a face, mind you, and people are totally in agreement. And then telling John that John doesn't have any, uh, basically, he says, I think the line he said, there's no hustle, loyalty or respect for you for this business. And he basically says, you're, you're a part-timer now, you want to make movies, and you, you're going to go the way of your friend Dwayne, and we'll see you in a few years sort of thing. Uh, and just Ambrose's intensity, and if I remember correctly, that actually uh, was, I don't know if he, he became champion then, uh, but he was in, in contention for a while, and I think it was very well deserved. Uh, but his promo then, and then one other one that jumps to mind too is uh, on Raw, during the right about the same period, uh, they had a Lesnar versus Samoa Joe match. I don't remember if you, uh, or I don't know if you remember that. Uh, this was probably a couple years ago, but that, and it was short too. I think it was Lesnar was supposed to have a different opponent. Something happened and they ended up having to bring in Joe and this match only had about a month build, but it was incredible. They made Joe look like an absolute monster, um, you know, and, and Brock ended up really selling for him in that match. I think it was at the, uh, <laughs> the ill-fated great balls of fire, uh, pay-per-view that they, uh, they fought, but Lesnar really, man, I'll tell you what people complain about Lesnar and whatever you want to think about him backstage. But when he wants to sell for someone, he makes that person look like a million dollars. Even if they lose that match, they come out looking like they were a threat. And Joe came out and looked like a huge threat. And the promos leading up to that match were uh were great paul Heyman also really got involved kind of selling the fact that that he might be a little worried like that joe was the one person that that scared him when it came to facing brock lesnar and even after the match after he lost i remember there was a promo uh between uh roman reigns or in-ring segment between roman reigns and uh and brock and joe came out and basically said roman get out you don't deserve to be here i took you to the limit brock and Brock starts to laugh and looks at Roman and Joe points at Brock and says, you listen to me when I'm talking to you, boy. And the face on Paul Heyman is just like utter terror. And even Brock stops laughing and looks straight at Joe. And th- those are two moments that really stick out to me as uh, a great in-ring ability to to talk about uh you know, or to talk, basically. Really great promo work. Yeah, Heyman's definitely a master of making you believe something is big. You know, oh, he, yeah. He, he, can, he can make, when he wants to, he can make any match seem like it's a big match. 
And that goes all the way back to his ECW days. He knew how to make, you know, the most out of people and their abilities. He's a master. Yep. Totally agree. Thing, uh, comments, anything you want to bring up or talk about before we uh, sign off for the night? No, no, that's it. Uh, if, uh, if you think of anything else, Caleb, we can add it to another show down the line. If anything escaped our minds tonight but, or today, but I believe that uh, we covered some bases and we might have let some folks know what really brought us to the dance, so to speak. It made us such ardent fans of professional wrestling. Yeah, I think you summed it up really well there. So uh, for Dean and myself, this is us signing off. Thanks again for listening to uh, the Zeros and Villains podcast, and we will catch you all later. Later.